The Fanboy, Episode 70. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 70th edition of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? You know, we've got to be better as fans, as writers, as bloggers, as film reporters, as, as you know, fanboys, fangirls, nerds, geeks, whatever you want to call yourself, whatever end of the spectrum you're on, whether you're a consumer of the news, or a generator of the news, or a passer-on of the news, We've got to be better because this situation with Alec Baldwin and the Joker movie that blew up over this, you know, these last few days is really just sort of dumbfounding and mystifying and upsetting, really, because as I covered on the Revengers podcast with Brett and Vanessa, you know, that news broke Monday night that Alec Baldwin would be playing Thomas Wayne in the Joaquin Phoenix starring Joker movie. I, for one, was interested. I was very intrigued. You know, Alec, uh, Mr. Baldwin, I should say, I don't know him like that, but Mr. Baldwin has been involved in some really, really great films over the years. And I was thinking about him along the lines of like, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin. Because, you know, when I think about this movie, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of men in suits doing organized crime. It's set in the 80s. It's got Martin Scorsese producing it. I have a feeling this is going to be like a low down, dirty gangster movie with Joker at its center. And when I hear about Alec Baldwin and they're playing some variation of Thomas Wayne, I'm like, oh, this ought to be great. But then, you know, another writer, I'm not going to name names or point fingers, but another writer for a trade added their own little insight. And they sort of implied that he'd be playing a character that's sort of reminiscent of like an 80s era Donald Trump. They mentioned that he was like sleazy and tanned, sort of, you know, uh, shady businessman type. And all of a sudden, that completely overshadowed the actual story. You know, the actual story is Alec Baldwin, who's a fairly in-demand, or I, I, maybe not in-demand, but I don't want to overstate his appeal, but he's been in the headlines a lot for years. He's a known face. He's a big name at this juncture ever since 30 Rock, you know, kind of brought his career back to the forefront. And then this, you know, this, the way he's been doing with Saturday Night Live, like he's back out there. So the big news is this movie landed a big time, well-known actor who's been around for 30 years. That's the story. But all of a sudden, this little sort of inference or this little, you know, oh, well, I hear he's going to be like a young Trump, like that completely suffocated and overshadowed the actual story. And all of a sudden, it's all anyone was talking about. On, on Tuesday morning, when we all woke up for, you know, for, for the next round of headlines about the story that had broken Monday night... All of a sudden, it was no longer that Alec Baldwin is in Joker. It's, you know, Alec Baldwin is going to do a young Trump in the Joker movie. And all of a sudden, it became almost like a joke. It became like, oh. And I start seeing fans start seizing on that and go, oh, what a disaster. This movie is now sunk to the bottom of my list. Oh, this, I can't believe they're going to go political and he's going to do just another Trump impersonation. And all of a sudden, that's all anyone wanted to talk about. They All they wanted to talk about was some details offered by one writer who viewed it this particular way, and suddenly it just became the story of, oh, he's going to do a young Trump in Joker. So then, of course, all of a sudden, he drops out. Because here's the thing about Alec Baldwin. He doesn't really kind of follow all the rules everyone else does. You know, in general, he doesn't necessarily play nice. We know that he's gotten into the dirt with other people. He gets himself into controversy. He's got a bit of a loud mouth. He can be brash. He can be temperamental. He can be a bit of a bloviator. And as far as I'm concerned, his reasons for dropping out are all BS. You know, because you don't want to say... I, I, I'm no longer interested in this because of how it just got completely blown out of proportion and turned into something ugly that people already hate without even knowing what it actually is. He's not going to say that. So what did he cite? He cited scheduling. And let's be serious, people. Scheduling is one of those logistics that is ironed out before a deal like this gets made. Before the studio confirms he's got the job, all these things have already been worked out. 
So when he mentions scheduling, that's just a bone he's trying to throw us so to throw us off the trail. But there's no way scheduling wasn't already predetermined. If it was, and if somehow it is a scheduling thing, then he's the most unprofessional actor ever. Because <laughs> then that means that he signed the deal and then booked something else at the same time. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. So you can either believe the, the, the public relations nonsense that he dropped out over a scheduling thing, or you can look at what actually happened, as far as I can see. He signed on for this. He was probably even on the fence about doing it to begin with, but he was going to do it because of the talent involved. He knew that Joaquin Phoenix is one of the more respected actors of this generation. He knows that you have Scorsese in there as a producer, and that this film in general is going to be geared towards adult, and it's not going to be quote-unquote kiddie superhero comic book fare. So he was sort of taking a risk in his mind, even taking the job. And then when it gets announced, instead of it being a cool thing, all he's hearing from everyone is, what, Alec, you're doing young Trump? What's going on here? You're doing the Trump thing in a Batman movie? And he's like, oh, okay, I don't need this anymore. You know, like, I, I swear to you, the real reason he left is because of the ridiculous sensational uproar that us in our little you know blogosphere all us in this in, in this little geek twitter social media world totally just you know went too far with so in a way this is the kind of thing i've been warning against for months where we're going to start scaring away good talent from these projects we love so much by being so reactionary by freaking out at the tiniest little thing that we disagree with for, by freaking out about things we don't even really know about. For all we know, the writer who said the thing about the, you know, the, the, the overly tanned, sleazy 80s businessman, maybe he got that wrong. We don't even know. The film hasn't started filming yet. So here we are. We hear one kernel of one potential way it can go, and we lose our minds. It's just unbelievable to me. And we, 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 everyone needs to take a moment and take a step back. And we got to chill out the outrage machine. I mean, across the board, whether it, you know, about social issues, about movie issues, everyone needs to like just take a deep breath. Sometimes it's okay to sit back and see how things play out. Sometimes it's okay to actually be diplomatic and go, you know what, I don't have all the facts or I don't know all sides of the story, so maybe I should just, you know, cool off, do some research or just, I don't know, God forbid, just wait to see how it turns out, people. And this is what's starting to happen. People, you know, this, this sort of thing is going to happen more and more in the months and years to come if we don't cool it. Big-time artists, directors, writers are going to start seeing the prospect of participating in a Marvel or DC or Star Wars or video game adaptation as, well, why would I do that? There's like so little upside because on the one hand, it's cool to be a part of something that is such a major fixture in pop culture. But on the other hand, if for some reason someone doesn't like it, it's going to become like that's going to completely overshadow what I'm working on. And if I upset some sort of, you know, group, then the entire group is going to come after me with lanterns and, and, and pitchforks. You know, like, we've got to just relax. It's not that serious, people. We're talking about movies and TV shows. It's just entertainment. These are just the things that are supposed to grease the wheels on you living your life. They're not supposed to be your life. They're supposed to be the little fleeting entertainments you enjoy for 22 minutes at a time or 44 minutes at a time or an hour or two at a time or, you know, 18 hours if it's a Lord of the Rings movie. You know, these are the supposed to be the things that just kind of help you along the way just to sort of, you know, numb the pain for a couple hours, kind of, you know, tune out and enjoy something and go have a laugh or enjoy some eye candy. And that's it. But right now, we react to any little bit of entertainment news or even just someone's speculation about how a character will be portrayed in a movie as if someone has personally attacked us. Like, it's become this thing like, oh, I'm in an outrage and I'm going to create a hashtag and me and all my friends are going to go crazy on this thing. And it's like, we are on the, on the brink of ruining a really good thing. Because right now, I got to tell you, if I'm, a, if I'm a, an actor, a writer, a director, I don't want to get involved with any of this stuff. You know, if I'm Ryan Johnson, which by the way, I don't even really, you know, I'm one of the people who has issues with The Last Jedi, but I even have to defend Ryan Johnson because he owes me nothing. 
I'm just some schmuck who's going to go see his movies no matter what because it's Star Wars. I'm just some guy with my own skewed perspective on how I would like these things to go. But he owes me nothing. He didn't ruin my childhood. He made a movie that meant something to him the way that it meant it to him. He followed his bliss. He was given an amazing opportunity. He lived his dream and he did it. He's a hero, even though I don't like his his Star Wars movie. But he's a hero what he's doing out there. And if what if I'm him, if I'm someone in his position, I'm going, why do I bother? Why I'd rather just go make some indie movies for a little while or, or focus on original content that no one will see, but at least people won't hate me. At least people will give my things a chance to actually, you know, unfold before them without expectations just to see, oh, how is this going to play out? Because when you're dealing with Marvel, Star Wars, DC, and other like beloved pop culture properties, the, the, the backlash is starting to become so much that like it, it's, it takes the joy out of it. So that means pretty soon we're only going to end up with artists who are maybe kind of mediocre, who don't really have a great reputation, and who are just trying to cut their teeth in the business, and who don't mind if you hate them because they're still at the stage of their career where any attention is good attention. You know how they say no bad press? You know, there's no such thing as bad press. You're going to get a bunch of rookies who are kind of living by that motto because they're still just trying to get their names out there. And who knows? We might even destroy up-and-coming careers because of our outrage machine. Look what happened to Josh Trank. He was doing, he was going on a nice pace there. He had Chronicle and like it's it seemed like he was heading in a good direction. And then he made a Fantastic Four movie that the studio flipped out about and hijacked from him. Who knows what the original Fantastic Four would have looked like? Release the Trank cut. You know, who knows? But now his career is kind of in this weird limbo now. Same thing with Neil Blomkamp. Like, you know, we, we take these young artists, we chew them up, and at first we're like, wow, you're the next big thing, and then we spit them out. So, like, for me, like, right now, I think about, like, Denis Villeneuve. I love Denis Villeneuve. But what happens now if his Dune movie sucks? What if he takes a risk that Dune fanatics are not pleased with? Are we going to throw him into the fire pit, too? Or are we going to accept that he's another artist, he's another filmmaker, he's another writer, he's another creator who just, you know, he wanted to put his stamp on it. He did the best he could. He followed his muse. He followed his heart and his passion. And then some hardcore Dune fans didn't like it, and now they decided he's the worst person ever, and he destroyed our childhoods, and he desecrated it. And now we're going to get a bunch of camcorders together and redo the Dune movie, release the redune. Like, I don't know what is going on out here, but people need to calm the hell down down. It's not that serious. And this is coming from me, someone who typically does take things a little too seriously. I remember on like the Lost Fanboys podcast, you know, we, we would get critiques from listeners who was like, you know, Mario can stand to take it easy once in a while. You know, we can have a little more uh, levity, a little more humor in these things because we are, after all, just talking about a bunch of dudes in capes and tights. So listen, this is coming from me, someone who's known for taking things a little too seriously, who in past episodes has cried talking to you about Superman and all this sort of stuff. So listen, I get him. I might be a strange messenger for this message, but really, even I'm starting to think we have to calm down. Just like that piece I wrote two months ago, being a fan is supposed to be about joy it's supposed to be about loving the things we love, not hating the things we don't. It's not supposed to be about tribalism. My fandom is cooler than your fandom, or my fictional character is better than your fictional character. Like, it's just ridiculous. But now sort of bringing it back, let's bring it back to what we're actually talking about. So, Today we had, you know, this week we had cool Joker news with Alec Baldwin joining in, and then by Wednesday he was gone. And then there's other stuff too. You know, there, there was a, a piece published on Forbes comparing the Joker movie to, oh, it's going to be the next Solo. And it's like, listen, full disclosure, I didn't read the story, but the headline on its own is very sensational. And to me, it's like, here we are once again suffocating something before it has a chance. Because right now, what, it, what is the feeling on Solo? The feeling on Solo, the prevalent thing was it was a flop. It was a bomb. It was a black eye on a beloved franchise. 
And right now, you already have Forbes, a major publication, comparing Joker to a major black eye flop disappointment on a beloved franchise. And it's like, all right, let, let's break this down, okay? Because on its surface, yes, there are some comparisons, but then it all falls apart. But let, let's first focus on what the actual comparisons are, okay? The similarities between Joker and Solo are as follows. They're both movies that are perhaps telling stories that no one was really asking to see. You know, they're kind of fleshing on you. No one really wanted to see, you know, young Solo, apparently. You know what I mean? It, it, it was not a, a, a fertile storytelling ground that people were chomping at the bit to see. You know, I've always contended, maybe if he was younger, if he was a kid or if he was a teenager, and it's a completely unexplored region of Solo's mythology, they might have been able to get people into theaters. But exploring him as already a pretty much grown man, no one was really dying to see that. And and having everything over-explained about how he found the Millennium Falcon and how he met Lando. Like, you know, we don't need the answers to those things. We don't need everything over-explained to us. And in a way... You know, people weren't necessarily asking for Solo. And that is the comparison to Joker, where on the surface, you know, a lot of people feel like Joker works best without an origin. Joker is one of these characters who we like when he's mysterious. We like when there's blanks we have to fill ourselves. You know, we, we have to fill on our own. You know, so in that way, I get it. It's not necessarily a story that we're dying to see right now, you know, at, at a time when, like, there are so many original stories they can tell or new ground they can cover, things they can melt our brains with and blow our minds about. Right now, it looks like, you know, sometimes the studios play it a little safe and they go, all right, let's just, you know, flesh out an already existing character, an already existing storyline. And listen, so I get it. On the surface, the Joker thing could kind of have that that going against it right? But where it all falls apart is this Joker thing is being made on the cheap. So it doesn't have to be a huge runaway blockbuster smash that makes $800 million, a billion dollars to be a hit. It's a low budget, gritty crime thriller. I believe, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but they're making it for less than 80 million bucks. I think it's even less than 70 million bucks. So it's just a little like rated R grown up elseworld tale. So right there, the stakes are completely different. Because even if that implodes, the fact that it's in its own little pocket means it has zero impact on what's going to happen in the main DCU continuity. And even if it only makes like something meager, 150 million, 200 million bucks, Warner Brothers will be happy with that because all they spent was, you know, 70 million or whatever the number is on the movie. So it's like, it, stop trying to already compare Joker to a bomb. It's not a bomb. Is it perhaps a story that there, you know, people are not exactly clamoring for? Sure. But Warner Brothers is actually being smart about it. You know, Lucasfilm made, I don't even know what Solo cost, but I assume it was a lot. It was at least 200 million bucks. And I believe with the reshoots, it might have gone up to more like 250. You know, right now I'm picking numbers out of thin air based on things I remember from last May when I was covering this stuff rather extensively. But I know that Lucasfilm made a huge tactical blunder, misreading their audience and what they actually wanted, and poured a ton of resources into a movie that had questionable interest levels. Warner Brothers, on the other hand, knows probably that this Joker thing is more of a risk, and they want to see how it goes. So they're going to give Todd Phillips a nice little, you know, tight little budget, and, it's all, and, and I think their best case scenario is it surprises like Deadpool did. Because remember, Deadpool was made for like $67 million and, or $69 million. And no one was necessarily expecting it to be a gigantic runaway hit. They probably would have been happy with a movie that made 180 or 200 million, 250 million because it was more of a niche character going for a niche rated R audience. And what happened with that movie? It ended up making, I think, like 700 million something dollars. So I think that's Warner Brothers' like best case scenario. But right now, you know, their expectations are firmly in check when it comes to the Joker. And the last thing I'm going to say about this movie is I came into some information this week. You know, I, I've got a spoiler for this Joker movie that I'm not going to say here. And I'm not going to run on the website. Which, by the way, is not an easy choice. 
You know, right now, I, I, I was speaking to Adam, uh, who reviews a bunch of things for the sites, and he has his own uh, Multiverse Musings, a DC podcast that you guys should check out. Him and Jordan do very nice work. But I was talking to Adam about this. You know, I'm in this tough spot where I have this site that I, I founded eight and a half months ago, and we're still trying to get the traffic numbers up, and we're trying to get the brand name out there, and we're trying to become part of everyone's daily rituals and try to get every, uh, on the tips of everyone's tongues. So a story like the one I've come in on would definitely check all those boxes. It would generate a ton of traffic. It would do all the things that I want, but you know, I just, I don't like scoops that are essentially just spoilers. You know what I mean? It's a fine line to walk, of course. Sometimes you can't tell, like, is this something that people should know in advance or is it not? Like, for me, my favorite types of scoops are the ones that have to do with casting or ones that have to do with just kind of general plot elements or who's the who the villain might be, that sort of stuff. But anything that's like, hey, guess what? In the second act, this is exactly what's going to happen. And, and you know, like, I just, I don't want to spoon feed you, you know, information before the filmmaker has given it to you. You know, I, to me, I find that sort of thing antithetical to what we do as film reporters, as bloggers, as whatever you want to call me and my ilk. You know, the way I see it, and maybe I'm in the minority, but the way I see it, we're supposed to help stoke fan flames. We're supposed to get you excited about the things you love. And in that way, help the artists and the creators who are making great things for us. That's how I view what I do. And I don't know if that makes me, you know, a clown for thinking so. Sometimes I look around at all the snark and all the sarcasm and the way other sites and other writers seem all too happy to just tear ideas down with little pithy one-liners and to be condescending. But to me, I'm like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to create a legion of excited people. Because right now, in real life, in the real world, there's enough to be upset about. There's enough to be stressing and sad and, and confused about. What The things that you love, the things you are a fan of, that shouldn't be one of them. This should be your escape. When you get to talk about, you get to talk about Batman and Spider-Man and Superman and Luke Skywalker, these should be the things that put a smile on your face. So if, if anyone, like, I just, it pisses me off. It really does. Oh, I didn't expect to go here. I'm sorry. But when it comes to this, you know, what, what, let me bring this back. I found out something really cool about Joker, and it got me really excited about the movie, and I won't be running it, um, but all I will say for you is that it would take an army for me not to go see this movie, now knowing what I know. So just take that from me. Know that there is something in this movie, that, that there's an ambition up their sleeve, there's a... There's something that they're working on that has me going, oh, well, this was already on my list, and now it's a can't miss. So I will not be running it, despite it might, the, the fact that it could be very beneficial to the site and to the economy of it all. You know, right now we're still struggling just to break even. But I just, I have to stand by my principles here. I don't want to just spoil things for you. You know, I, I was once part of, uh, at another site, you know, they got the exclusive scoop, quote unquote, on the big surprise at the end of Split. And they ran the story. And I remember feeling really dirty about being associated with the site at the time. This is not a knock. You know, if you know who I'm talking about, I'm not, you know, this is not a knock on them. But I remember that feeling of like, this doesn't feel right. This feels like we're doing a disservice to M. Night Shyamalan. This feels like we're doing a disservice to the fans who would have had no idea about the big surprise at the end of Split, which, as we all know, is leading now to Glass. You know, I knew about that three or four months in advance, and I was working with someone who did too, and they wanted to run it, and they ran it, and then, you know, Blumhouse came and they begged us to take it down, and, they, and, and it was taken down, and so on and so forth, and thankfully it was only up for like 45 minutes, so I think like it didn't have much of a chance to do as much damage as I was worried it might. But I'll always remember that feeling of like, I just robbed some, I mean, it wasn't me personally, but like I, I, I helped him like phrase the article and I helped him structure it. 
I remember feeling like, I feel dirty. I just robbed people of an amazing surprise in a movie that they would not have seen coming. This doesn't seem right. And at that moment, I decided I will not be running, you know, straight up spoiler scoops on my own anymore. I don't, I don't want to be a part of them. And this thing I know about Joker is a straight up spoiler scoop. There's no other way to phrase it without basically, hey, everyone, I'm going to ruin something really cool for you. And I don't want to do that. So suffice it to say, fans of the Joker and the Batman mythology in general, you know, you guys should be pretty hyped about the scope of what they're working on with this Joker movie. You know, there are, there are surprises out there. And please just don't let anyone else try to dampen your interest in this film or any film. Because... These are supposed to be the sweet things. These are supposed to be the silver linings. At the end of a crappy week, you go to the movie theater and, and, and disconnect for a couple hours. This should not be something that brings you more drama and more heartache and leads to more fights online. This is supposed to be the good stuff. And that's what this podcast is about. That's what Revenge of the Fans is about. It's about celebrating the good, not emphasizing the bad. And uh, look, for those of you who feel like I've teased you, who feel like, oh, but I want to know the spoiler. I'm one of the people who doesn't mind a spoiler. I'm going to see it anyway. Listen, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to report it. And I'm not going to drop any teases. But I'll tell you what, if somebody else breaks it, if somebody else runs it, I will let you know, hey guys, this was it. This was the thing that I was trying to keep under wraps that is, uh, you know, now it's the cat's out of the bag, you know. So that, 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 that's as best as I'll do for those of you who really want to know what it is I found out this week about the Joker. Now let's talk a little bit about Black Canary. Uh, there was a big uh, rumor that hit the web yesterday about Lady Gaga. Some of you have asked me to comment on it. So, I'm going to do exactly that. Uh, guess what? It's real. It's true. It's true. But what's interesting about it is there's no guarantee that anything will come of it, so we can't get that excited just yet. But yes, Lady Gaga, For it's my understanding from someone who I, I double-checked with, um, that she, you know, they have, you know, they, they made an initial inroads at her, you know, earlier this year, I believe. I'm not sure how long ago it was. And she turned it down. And now they've come to her again with uh, an offer for more pay. And they even opened up, like, what role she could play. They're like, listen, you know, here's the script, which, by the way, I hear is phenomenal. But they're like, you know, take this script Whichever character you want to play is yours and will pay you more than we were originally going to offer. Just please consider this. And that's where we're at. But the situation is, you know, she's about to become a big critical darling. She's about to be probably an award show favorite because all the buzz around what she does in this movie with Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, is that she's phenomenal. That she's got an incredible gift when it comes to acting. You know, we already knew she was a strong musician, but apparently all, all along she was hiding in front of us that she was also one hell of an actress. And right now the buzz is that she's going to become like an acting superstar after this movie. Between her portrayal, between the songs that she sings in the movie and everything, like you know, she really brings it. So the buzz over at the studio which, mind you, is Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers, you know, the same studio that's making Birds of Prey and is in charge of all things DC, you know, they've gotten to see the, the dailies for A Star Is Born. They've gotten to see the early cuts and the like, oh, every step of the way, they've been watching how this movie unfolds. So they know exactly what they've got on their hands with this Lady Gaga performance and what this is going to do for her career. And on top of that, one of the producers on this movie just kind of like, you know, this is more like trivia. But one of the producers on A Star Is Born is Todd Phillips, someone else who, you know, is obviously firmly entrenched in the world of DC right now. So right now, the rumor is true. They are trying to get her. But the catch is it's expected to not go through. It's expected that she and her camp are just, you know, they already turned it down once. 
And right now, with with what's a you know with, with what is anticipated to happen with her career, and you know once that movie opens between now and the Academy Awards, it's simply just not expected that she and her camp are going to take a, an about face on this decision. You know, right now it looks like she's going to try to make inroads towards being a serious, sought-after actress, and she doesn't necessarily want to sign on for, you know, to, to be in a DC Comics movie or any comic book movie. You know, she doesn't, you know, right now the, the, the sort of internal sense on her end, or at least to be, you know, the, that, the word on the street when she originally turned it down was that, you know, she just, she, she wants to go towards more like, you know, prestigious projects, not necessarily get involved with comic book movies, which, you know, I think that's reasonable. I don't think that's a snobby way of looking at things. If anyone wants to get mad at her for viewing it that way, you know, that's, you know, that that's your prerogative. But, you know, you got to understand that th there is this perception still amongst serious actors, serious writers and directors that, you know, the, the current trend with the superheroes that's been going on now for the last 10 some odd years is still just kind of, you know, it, it's just pop bubblegum entertainment it's not serious art it's this fad that will you may or may not survive much longer and it's just you know it's not necessarily something that you want to hitch your entire career to so the thing is yes they've made this offer to her yes they're they're really you know pulling a full you know court press to try to get her to change her mind but she's not expected to do so and honestly you know, the folks who are trying to debunk this rumor, mind you, they have agendas of their own. But secondly, they're doing so with the comfort of they know there's a snowball's chance in hell that Gaga's going to change her mind. So they know that debunking it is just going to make them look right. You know, it's just going to make them look right when she eventually does not end up playing Black Canary or anyone in Birds of Prey. They're going to get to beat their chest and go, see, I told you it was BS. But really, it's not BS. They just know that she's likely to say no. So it's pretty easy to act like you're in the know when you already kind of know what the answer is going to be. You could sound, you make yourself sound real smart when you kind of already know what a, a particular actor's stance on a project is, and therefore you say that they're not in the running because they're not going to take it anyway. But anyway, I digress. That was a bit of a tangent. But uh, yes, that is the latest on the, uh, on the Gaga situation. And now I'm just going to sort of wrap things up with uh, some listener questions that you guys sent in this morning over on the Twitter. If you ever want to get involved in something like this, you know, my Twitter handle is I underscore am underscore MFR. And uh, there are indeed times when I reach out and when I'm not exactly sure what to talk about. And I ask you what it is that you'd like me to talk about today. So always feel free to send in referrals and recommendations that way. So I'm going to do some rapid fire. And yes, you know, this episode's not going to be supremely long. This is going to, this is basically the last Friday of my summer vacation. I've got my kids here. I've got my wife here. So I want to go try to make the most of this final Friday we have together. And then starting next week, Friday, you know, a lot of things are going to start to change around these here parts. You know, I'm going to be working on all kinds of fresh new content. We're going to be unveiling new Patreon perks this month. There's also going to be an added visual component for this podcast because I ran a poll and it looks like there's a, a decent amount of interest in also having this show air on YouTube. So there's, you know, I, I'm working on a bunch of different things. So this is kind of like the, la the end of an era, the way I sort of see it, this episode. So, you know, the, the, yes, I'm sorry for those of you who are hoping this would be another hour, hour and a half. You know, last week's episode was phenomenal with, with Mark Waite. I'm still sort of, you know, a week later pinching myself that I got to chat Superman with the one and only Mark Waite. But yeah, this, this week's going to be a little on the shorter side. Sorry for those of you if, uh, if that's going to leave you with any kind of fanboy blue balls. But um, that's just the way it's going to be. I, I, I got family to tend to and things to do today before I hit things really hard starting next week when they all go back to school full-time. And it's going to be up to me to try to help take Revenge of the Fans into its next era, into, you know, version 2.0 is, is coming up. But anyway, I digress. Uh, questions I got. There was one about Black Canary, which came in actually from one of my writers, the one and only, the uber-talented Jonathan Brady. Um... You know, I pretty much already answered that, but he, he, he adds an interesting little twist 
about Gaga and Canary. We're basically assuming it's true. And she gets, you know, she, she's uh, being up for Black Canary because of her role in Star is Born. What do I think are the chances we maybe see Bradley Cooper eventually make his way over from the MCU to the DCU to play Green Arrow? Uh, listen, that would be very interesting. I think the mere fact that his buddy and frequent collaborator, Todd Phillips, is involved with Joker helps the idea of that. You know, I mean, he, he's worked with Phillips on all three Hangovers movies. Phillips is a producer on A Star is Born. You know, he, he really trusts Todd Phillips. And you got to believe that if Phillips has a, a, a great time with this Joker movie, if he has a great time dealing with Walter Hamada and, you know, Toby Emmerich and all that sort of stuff, if he has a great experience, you better believe that, you know... Phillips may indeed tell him, like, dude, this is actually pretty sweet. You know, the pay is good. They give you creative freedom. You know, I was able to make my movie my way. And I could totally see a guy like Bradley Cooper being, you know, I mean, he's already freaking voicing a raccoon in Marvel. So clearly he's not someone who has too big of an ego or too big of an opinion of himself that he couldn't also be in a DC movie. Now, would it be Green Arrow? I don't know about that. You know, Green Arrow, to me, as cool as he is in the Arrowverse and the CW, or as cool as he's been, I should say, because I have never watched the show, but I've heard that it's sort of, the quality has kind of gone up and down. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know that he'd want to go for like a B or C list character. You know, my guess is, you know, I mean, this is all just spitballing, by the way. Do not run any stories on this, please, anybody. But like, I think I would sooner see him as the veteran Hal Jordan, you know, like if Tom Cruise doesn't pan out, you know, I would love to see Bradley Cooper be an older Hal Jordan. That's always kind of been how I see him. Or perhaps being like a really cool rogue in a Batman movie or even like reverse Flash or something there in the Flash movie, you know, which we're going to get to in a little bit, by the way. Um, so, yeah, so I could I see Bradley Cooper making it migrating over from the MCU to the DCU, especially seeing, you know, what just happened to James Gunn over there in his Guardians franchise. He may see working with Marvel and Disney as not being all that awesome. But meanwhile, if Phillips has an amazing time working with DC and Warner Brothers, that could make it pretty appealing for him to make a jump. And maybe that's one other reason to kind of circle back to how I opened the show. Let's cut Todd Phillips some slack here. Let's let him have the time and the space that he needs to create the, the, the film and the world he wants to create. Because if, if a guy like Phillips is given, it, it has fun on a DC movie, chances are his friends and other people who are, you know, quote unquote, sort of, you know, prestigious figures in Hollywood may follow him to DC. So let's not scare Todd Phillips away. Okay. What a novel idea. Then there's Adam, who I spoke about earlier today. Adam Basciano sent in the question, what do you make of Kiersey Clemens not seeming to know when The Flash starts production or referring to a director instead of directors? Some are taking it to mean Flash is delayed and lost its directors. Um, look, Adam, and look for you know, everyone, you know, Flash fans out there. It's very confusing. I don't know why she would say what she said. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it sounded all very sort of like vague and dodgy. And like she made it sound like Flash is nowhere near being ready to enter production. Meanwhile, I know for a fact that some casting breakdowns were getting ready to come down the pike. You already had The Hollywood Reporter and Production Weekly. These are not like little fanboy blogs who need your clicks. These are industry trades who were talking about Flash entering production, I believe, next spring, which is pretty close when you think about it. So it makes no sense to me for her to suddenly kind of go out there and act like, oh, yeah, the movie is just kind of, we don't know what's going on. We don't have directors. We only have, like, the beginnings of an idea for what the story might be. Like, I just, I don't know what she's thinking. I don't know if maybe there is more to the story. You know, I don't want to put this all on her. I'm not going to, I don't want to say that she's talking out of her ass because maybe she's not. You know, I, I don't know if maybe something has happened in the last couple of weeks that's changed that. The change, of, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the, it's interesting about the Flash movie, if you think about it. It's been in development hell 
for two years already. Remember, The Flash was supposed to come out earlier this year. That's how far behind we are on everything. You know, Flash was supposed to film January of 2017 to come out in like February of March of this year. So this movie is like, you know, it's had so many stops and starts. It had Seth Graham Smith. Then it had Rick Famuyiwa. Then it had, I don't think, anyone for a while. And, you know, all rumors about who would replace Rick Famuyiwa. And then we have the the whole thing about John John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein coming in to co-direct. You know, the, uh, the they were the writers of Spider-Man Homecoming and the co-directors of Game Night coming in to co-direct the movie. And listen, I'm I'm ecstatic about that choice. I can't wait to see what they do if they are indeed doing it. You know, but for some reason, you know, this project has been hard to get off the ground. I don't know what it is, but it keeps stalling at the gates. Uh, here's hoping, though, that that hasn't happened. You know, I haven't heard from anyone that it actually is in some sort of limbo and that Daly and Goldstein are really not directing it. You know, from, from what I've heard from more official sources is that, no, the, the, the Flash seems to be fine. We don't know why she said that. But, you know, I, I, I'm going to, you know, I guess just because I'm getting Flash PTSD with all the stops and starts and all the development hell, I'm willing to kind of put some stock in her very vague, very sort of dodgy comments on the movie and go, hey, you know what, maybe it did slip back into development hell because that seems to be the running trend with this Flash movie. So I'm sorry if that was not a direct enough answer there for you, Adam. But you know, as far as I've been told, the movie's still proceeding as planned, that we should be getting casting breakdowns and stuff very soon. But by that same token, I would not be terribly surprised if it is back in limbo, because that just seems to be the case with this movie. Um, and uh, Lawrence Kaufman, who, by the way, I thanked you on the Revengers podcast, Lawrence. I'm going to thank you again here you know, Lawrence Kaufman contributed to the GoFundMe for my new iMac, which I'm going to be using to create all kinds of cool new content for Revenge of the Fans. And Lawrence, I want to just thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for being a Patreon supporter for, you know, uh, I feel like close to a year now and for contributing to GoFundMe. You've just been an unbelievable supporter and the little emails and messages you send me always kind of help me feel like I'm on the right track here, that I'm doing the right thing. So thank you, Lawrence. Lawrence asked... When do you think we'll start hearing some Flash casting news? Huh, we just spoke about this. Also, James Gunn circling any DC projects. So Lawrence, you know, like I kind of said in the last answer, you know, the Flash stuff, if everything is proceeding, you know, the casting process is supposed to begin this fall. That's why there's already going to be casting breakdowns that are making their way out to prospective managers and agents trying to see if, if, if they have clients that match these kinds of descriptions. So if the, uh, in terms of flash casting news, if things are going, you know, are proceeding as planned, then, you know, I would say anywhere between September and December, maybe September is a little optimistic now. But, you know, but I'll, I'll say it. Let's stick with September. I'm all about optimism. So it could be soon. So anyway, September through December, I think, is when we'll start hearing some significant cast Flash news. You know, casting news for Flash, I should say. So in other words, not that long. You know, less than four months. Uh, Sebastián Cruz. By the way, Sebastián, awesome name. That's my son's name. And he even has ese, little, ese acento ahí over the A, Sebastián by the way, I, I always tell my son, actually, I can't, that's a lie, my son's only four, but I'm planning on saying to my son, and I always say to my friends, that he's going to be a real lady killer if he says his name the Spanish way. When he's older, can you picture that, like in high school or in college as he's meeting girls? And like, you know, Sebastian is cute, but Sebastian makes you think of a little cartoon red crab from The Little Mermaid. If he goes, hi, I'm Sebastian. I think he's going to be a lady killer. But anyway, I digress. Um, Sebastián Cruz says, What's the best part about reporting on a DC news show so many months ago and having it turn out to be 100% uh, 100% correct? Must feel pretty fantastic. Yes, Sebas. Yes, Mr. Cruz. It does feel really good. 
you know, it, it's uh, at times this week it was almost a little surreal to kind of have all of this information about DC Daily come out, that huge launch event with Kevin Smith and all the cool stuff that came from that. It's, you know, it's felt pretty amazing to know. I remember where I was on the afternoon of January 18th when a source came to me and said, hey, guess what? You know how you've been talking about how DC needs to take control of the narrative? Well, they are. They're going to be launching a DC Daily show later this year. It's going to cover news on everything. It's going to be the direct official source for all things DC, yada, yada, yada. And I told you guys that on January 19th. And here we are eight months later. It's been confirmed over and over again, we've gotten to see the proof of that show. Um, so you know, it feels it feels pretty great. You know, anytime you have a scoop confirmed, it feels pretty great. I've had I've had a couple of smaller ones confirmed over the course of the last year, but this one feels like possibly one of the biggest. And there's still some big ones on the way, so kind of you know, stay stay tuned if you've been you know monitoring some of the things that I've shared. You know, there's still some other irons in the fire here that will be confirmed in the months to come. But yes, this DC Daily bit, it feels great to see it come true and, and to kind of see everyone talking about it and to know that I was the one who let you guys know eight months ago about it, you know. Um, then I think, oh, and then there's just the last question. Ron Diesel, another longtime listener and supporter, someone who really engages very deeply in all the conversations that sprout up on Revenge of the Fans articles and things I tweet. Ron, thanks for always kind of being a dependable and reliable supporter. Ron says, do you have any concerns about the DC Daily Show? Uh, I don't really have concerns. I have questions. You know, I'm curious how they're going to deal with rumors. Because right now, like the way I assume it's going to work is whatever they don't mention on the show is just a rumor. It's just rumor and speculation and innuendo. So we as consumers of news are supposed to assume, like let's say a big story like what happened with Alec Baldwin. Let's say a big story breaks on Monday, and on Tuesday, if they talk about it on the show, on the because it's going to be every single day of the show, if they talk about it, we know, okay, that's legit, that's real. And if they don't address the whole little Trump comparison thing, then we know, oh, that must not be legit, that's just a rumor. All they actually spoke about is the fact that he's in the movie, so that's really the only thing we need to know at this time. So that's my thing. Are they just going to sort of debunk by omission? Or are they going to come out and say, oh, yes, yeah, somebody said this thing. It's total nonsense. You know, we, we have it on authority from Walter Hamada to let you know that that is total drivel. You know, so that's what I'm curious about. Will they directly debunk rumors or will they debunk them by omission by simply not mentioning them? You know, so I don't have concerns for DC Daily. I just want, I'm curious how they're going to handle rumors. Um, but all right, folks, that's that's it. That brings episode 70 of the Fanboy Podcast to a close. If you have some time, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Uh, right now, I, I've been stuck at 40, and it's starting to get frustrating. I'm listen. I, uh, these are a, a rich man's problems, so you know, don't don't shed a tear for me. But you know, listen, having 45 star reviews is uh, unbelievable. So I'm not I'm, I'm not being a brat here. But you know, I've been stuck at that nice round 40 number for what feels like two months. I want to see reviews, you know, 41, 42, 43, 44 come in this week because that's the stuff that helps me climb the charts. That's the stuff that helps the the Apple algorithm and all the other stuff to kind of put me in front of potential new listeners. So if you are enjoying the show, if you believe in what I'm doing here, then please take a few moments to head over to Apple Podcasts and write me a rave review so that more people can find out about me and this thing can continue to grow. But everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for visiting RevengeOfTheFans.com. We had our biggest day ever yesterday, and that was unbelievable. You know, I had a big story. I had two stories this week. You know, I followed up on last week's little nugget about Frozen and Elsa. And then I also wrote a story about Diablo because, uh, you know, that video game, it looks like they're going to be making an animated Diablo series for Netflix. And people are apparently very excited about that. You know, it's not a game franchise I know a ton about. So I wasn't sure how many people would even really care about some animated series based on it. But apparently it's the biggest story I've ever written. Who knew? 
So we had our biggest day ever yesterday. The site continues to grow. I'm so proud of my team. I want to thank, you know, Matt Vernier. I want to thank Jonathan Brady. I want to thank Adam Basciano again. I want to thank John Crabtree, the co-founder. I want to thank everyone who participates in our other podcasts. You know, we've got the Revengers podcast with myself, Brett Miro, and Vanessa Lee Bontea. We got the Fanboy Garage with Aaron Verola and Chris Lasanti. We have the Play It Loudcast, the video game podcast that is that is headed up by Brett Miro, Rob Marrera, and uh, Jeremy Scully. I, I, I just paused for a second because I'm like, Rob sometimes goes by a pseudonym, but no, he's Marrera. So anyway, sorry about that. Rob, if you're listening, can I call you Rob Napalm once in a while just for old time's sake? He used to be a metal singer and he used to go under Rob Napalm. And I just think that's pretty cool. You guys should totally uh, call him that over on Twitter. I think he'd get a kick out of it. He was in a band called Irony of Chaos. And you know what? While I'm in this space, I know I was just wrapping up, but why not? I always just kind of go off the top of my head anyway. My band is coming together again and it's pretty awesome. We just booked our first show back. You know, I'm, I'm the lead singer. I'm the front man for a hard rock band here in New York called The Boom Section. We have an album on iTunes and uh, you can find our stuff on YouTube and Spotify and all over the place. But, uh, you know, we, we broke up a few years ago and about, I don't know, six months ago, uh, we got back together and we brought in two new guitarists. So the lineup is a little different, but we sound unbelievable and we've been dying to get out there and we just booked our return show. It's going to be October 27th at Blackthorn 51 in Elmhurst, Queens. It's an awesome venue. It's going to be a Halloween-themed show. We're opening for a band called The Undead, who are an offshoot of The Misfits. And they're, they're amidst a tour. And we're going to open for them. So, you know, talk about coming from being broken up to suddenly diving back into the fire, you know, right back into the heat of things. We're not doing like a warm-up gig. We're opening for a national act. So what? Super excited about that. So uh, if you're interested in anything we're doing over there, you know, you can find the boom section on Instagram, on Twitter, and uh, going to be promoting that October 27th show pretty, you know, heavily in the two months to come. But I digress. That was such a tangent and so not why you came here. But thank you for listening anyway and for your support and for your generosity of spirit and spending this time here with me. So everyone, until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Adios.